Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we return to our series through this epistle after a couple of weeks off. And this morning, we will be considering chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. Verses 9 through 13. If you need a copy of God's Word, you can likely find a couple of copies in the seat pockets behind or in front of you. Join with me in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, your Word is life, your Word is truth. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would write it deeply in our hearts this morning by your Spirit's work. Lord, we desire to know you more. We desire to know your word, your commands, to live according to your precepts. And so, Lord, work in us what is good and right. Help us to learn and grow in your word, we pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Hear now the very Word of God written for you and for me today. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet certainly I did not mean with the sexually immoral of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, a reviler, or a junkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of it to us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear the word of God. Well, my friends, biblical discipline is an essential pillar in a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's true that the exercise of church discipline isn't easy, though. In fact, it's often plain hard. It often involves difficult conversations regarding sin, and sometimes it involves conflict and stressful situations. It, it can challenge the strength of relationships. But the beautiful and the wonderful nature of biblical discipline is that it's God-given, it's divinely directed, and it's divinely supported, and is to be exercised through the grace and work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it must not be shied away from, but humbly and wisely and lovingly engaged in. And why must this happen? What happens when discipline is shied away from and neglected in the church? Sin goes unchecked. It flourishes. It defiles. And, and, and what happens when sin is unchecked and is not dealt with in the body? 
Like a plant, sin digs in and establishes roots under the surface. And these roots corrupt and defile and spread like cancer. The offensive nature of sin in the Christian's mind and heart is, is worn down as consciences are wounded and seared. People in the church are, are desensitized to its presence and its deadly effects. Some may grow to be tolerant, even eventually supportive of the sin in their midst. And look around. You will find that this is the pattern and the effect of unchecked sin in many Christian churches and denominations today. In fact, such churches have often twisted church discipline to be used against those who would rise up and stand up like the Apostle Paul, call sin for what it is, and put forth a call to have it repented of and biblically dealt with and removed from the church. Many don't like that. Many don't like the commands of God and the instruction that he provides in the scriptures through the Apostle. So as we know from our study in 1 Corinthians, this was the clear pattern and the effect of sin in Corinth. As the saints in Corinth had many problems stemming from pride, one of the tentacles of pride reared its ugly head in tolerance of sexual sin in the body. Specifically, the Apostle Paul exposed the presence of fornication in the form of incest. A man was having physical relations with his father's wife which is a blatant violation of God's law. And what was the response of those in the body? Tolerance instead of concern. They were puffed up instead of mourning and weeping that Satan had gained such a foothold in their midst. And so Paul sought to recalibrate their understanding, bring them back to the truth through the light of Christ that was shown on their situation. He desired to open their eyes, to re-educate their consciences, to be brought in line with Scripture. He desired them to see such sexual sin and the unrepentant man engaged in it as the true leaven that was defiling the whole church. In love and with a godly desire that the man would repent and turn to Christ, the man had to be removed, Paul said, cast out of the church. Delivered to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul may be saved in the day of Christ. Again, taking such action and carrying it out would be hard. But it was right. It was needed and necessary. But having been carried out then, how should the saints in the church then live in light of such discipline? Paul teaches and guides us in this in our text this morning. And let's consider Paul's words regarding not keeping company with immoral people in verses 9 and 10. Our interaction with immoral people who call themselves brothers in verse 11, as well as judging those in the church in verses 12 and 13. Look at what Paul says about not keeping company with immoral people in verse 9. He says, I wrote you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, it's clear that Paul had given the Corinthians advice on this matter. 
before providing a full treatment of it, knowing the details of this case here in 1 Corinthians. In the counsel of that previous letter, he instructed them on how they should interact with sexually immoral people. But what was Paul's point then in bringing this up here? He was in essence saying, remember, think back. Think back to what I've said. I've already addressed this with you, even generally about your relationships in life, and specifically about those who are sexually immoral. And what did I say? It's like Paul was saying. And importantly, what did I mean in what I said? For it appeared that the Corinthians misunderstood, thinking he commanded them to be completely separate from the world, to isolate themselves. Either that, or the saints were sidestepping the matter, thinking his instruction was unreasonable. And so what was his counsel to them specifically? Well, Paul counseled them to not keep company, he says, with sexually immoral people. And what does not keeping company mean? Well, literally, it refers to associating with somebody, or mixing together with them, or or mingling with them. And now it's true that Scripture teaches us that we must be wise and discerning about who we associate with, who we have friendships with, who we become close to and allow into our inner circle, who we allow to invest in our lives and have a shaping influence on us. There are some, particularly as we think of our relationships with unbelievers, that we need to be guarded about. Paul wanted the saints to know that he wasn't telling them what they thought or misunderstood that he was telling them. Though wisdom is required, he wasn't telling them that they needed to isolate themselves from those in the world. And so, what does he clarify? What does he say? Look at verse 10. He says, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Beloved, lost sinners abound in the world. We know this very well. And using Paul's words, we would have to go out of the world. We would in essence have to die to be free or away from them. However, Paul taught in other epistles and and knew God's will that his people be salt and light in the world, that we be evangelistic witnesses and testimonies to the walking dead of the world, to our sexually immoral and covetous and idolatrous in heart and life. And so this means that we need to get to know and interact with them to do so, to be such salt and light. And in this clarification... Paul then is also reinforcing and encouraging us to engage those who are of the world with the truth and the gospel of Christ. We need to do that. We need to see that here. And so if the immoral sinners of the world aren't the people believers aren't to keep company with, as he said in verse 9, who was Paul talking about then? Look at verse 11. But now I have written to you, Not to keep company with anyone named a brother. 
who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. Beloved, Paul is talking about those in the church who claim Christ. They claim to be brothers and sisters in the Lord, but they are living in unrepentant sin. They are living in such a way that they look and they are acting as if they are unbelievers. We know well that we all wrestle with sin. We wrestle with the temptations that come our way. In fact, that's in much reason why they're called temptations. They're tempted. We all fall into sin, sadly, at various times. There are many who may struggle with sexual sin, with coveting, those who make idols, in their hearts, if not in other physical ways. Those who even chase after those idols. Those who pursue them. There are some who struggle with being revilers, which means railing and being abusive against others. There are some who wrestle with being addicted to alcohol, to being drunkards. There are some who wrestle with being swindlers. But yet by the grace of God, they repent and they turn from their sins unto Christ, seeking His help to walk in faithful obedience. By the grace of God, they, the brothers and the sisters in the church, yes, we fall into sin, but the Spirit is at work in us, and He draws us to repentance. He draws us to recognize and to turn from that sin and unto Jesus that we would walk in newness of life worthy of our calling. The people that Paul warned Corinth about and that he warns us about are those who live in sin and have no interest in turning. Like the man in Corinth fornicating with his father's wife. And so here's biblical discipline not only being carried out by the church, not only being carried out by the session, the elders of the church, the under-shepherds of the church, but Paul is teaching us about biblical discipline then being lived out in the lives of the saints of the church. And Paul gives us two points of action here in this verse, doesn't he? Look at verse 11. The man or woman who is showing themselves to be an unbeliever and is excommunicated from the church is therefore one who our relationship with must, must change as a result. And that is hard. That is hard. We walk with such a person, we talk with them, we love them, we interact with them. And when such action has to take place, knowing that it is right and good to do so, knowing that the leaven needs to be removed from the lump for the health and the purity of the church, knowing that all this is right and true according to the word of God, it is nonetheless very hard. That relationship needs to change. Remember Jesus' instruction in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, where he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth or two or three witnesses every word may be established. And notice verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Maybe a heathen we grasp clearly in the language and the title of that name. Tax collector. Why would he say tax collector? Tax collectors were the despised people in the in society for how they conducted their business and swindled people and cheated people. People avoided them. People didn't want to have any interaction with them. They were on the outside in many ways, relationally, societally. Beloved, we must not keep company or associate with them in the same ways that we did before. Further, when someone is disciplined biblically by excommunication by one church and decides to bounce to another church, that church should be careful to uphold the discipline of the previous church as it acted biblically. I can't emphasize that enough. I've seen that many, many times. That person has biblically been cast out of the church, out of the universal church of Christ. And therefore, for the next church to disregard that or to ignore it, even knowing it, is wrong. They don't understand, and they're not upholding the continuity of Scripture in the care and the jurisdiction of the church. And of Christ. It's not only wrong and it affects the people who are trying to bounce. And it encourages them and doesn't confront them or, or withhold the, the uncomfortable nature and what is truly and spiritually really happening in the result of excommunication. But it's also teaching their flock something that's not right giving them a poor witness, an example of that. Let alone, even if they were saying, well, we would do the proper biblical steps of discipline, even if we needed to excommunicate somebody within our midst. Churches also need to recognize biblical discipline when it's carried out by the But secondly, Paul says that we aren't even allowed to eat with them, he says. Wow! Right? Okay, don't keep company with them. Don't mingle with them. Don't associate with them. Okay, I, I get that. Oh, wait. Don't eat with them. Why does he say don't eat with them? That's a strong statement. Eating is a very personal and an intimate time and connection and relationship. Think about it within the realm of hospitality. One of the beauties and the benefits of hospitality is that connection and that fellowship that we have as we break bread together and as we encourage each other as we get to know each other and having table fellowship with each other. Don't even eat with them, he says. We are to have that kind of separation relationally. 
Paul is referring to community life within the church here. Not that all personal contact must be avoided. And this can be a hard line to walk, especially if the person is close family or friends. But Paul is saying that we aren't to have table fellowship with them as, as we would if, as if they were a brother or sister. Like the lost sinners of the world that he spoke of earlier when he provided that clarification. Like the lost sinners of the world, our approach and communication with them should be gospel-centered. Pointing them to Christ, calling them to repent and to turn to Christ. And so Paul again teaches the Corinthians about why he could say such things and make such a judgment about this man. As well as then why they should do the same. Why they should follow his example. Why they should learn about how he's thinking and evaluating and making judgments there. And how they should judge matters. And that's what he goes into next, right? In verses 12 and 13. As he talks about judging those who are in the church. Look at verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those who also who are on the outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? I mean, the answer there, clearly from his rebuke and correction of the Corinthian church, is that they weren't doing that well. They had let this man go. Likely other things. And they, in, in fact, other things. We've already seen many in the preceding chapters. But he says, those who are outside, God judges. And therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So in verse 12, Paul pointed the Corinthians and points us to the jurisdiction of the visible church. Members of the church are on the inside. This is one of the important pieces uh, and reasons for understanding church membership. Being under the authority and the discipline and the nurture and the jurisdiction of the local church. Those not in the church are on the outside. And so the officers of the church, the, the courts of the church, can only discipline those who are under the authority and, and jurisdiction of the church. Those who are inside the church. On the other hand, in verse 13, Paul says, don't judge those who are on the outside. And why? Because God judges those who are outside the church. And will finally and fully bring that judgment on judgment day. And so because this jurisdiction is clear and true, Paul says that the people needed to follow through and, and carry out the judgment that he had communicated regarding this man. They needed to cast and purge the fornicating man from the Corinthian church. Keep in mind, this was nothing new. It wasn't some newly drafted or, or come up, he didn't come up with this on the fly in terms of this action that, he, that they needed to take. Paul told them to do this, making an important parallel between the Old Testament covenant community and the New Testament church. And we see this to be true in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in a couple of places that we'll look at here this morning, first in verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 5, we read there, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has 
spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. And then notice, so you shall put away the evil from your midst. We see the same language with Paul. Right? Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Deuteronomy 17, similarly in verses 6 and 7, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people. And again, so you shall put away the evil from among you. Beloved, what's in view here as you hear these words? As you hear these words in Deuteronomy and as you hear Paul's words, even in verse 13, purity, isn't it? The essential nature of purity. Beloved, if, if the purity and the holiness of Christ, the head and the king of the church, if the purity and the holiness of Christ is in the forefront of our minds, as we hear his words, be holy as I am holy. All of this falls into place, doesn't it? As the importance of both personal purity and the corporate purity of the church are pressed into our hearts this morning. And as challenging and as uncomfortable and difficult as it may be, what must be done to restore and preserve the purity of the church when the presence of leaven, the presence of an unrepentant person who calls himself a brother or sister, the action that must be taken in the final stage of church discipline is clear. And it really boils down to this. Purity is preserved by purging the evil person. Purity is preserved by purging the evil person. And this action of excommunication changes our relationship with them. They have been cast out of the covenant community. We must not associate or have table fellowship with them like we used to. They're no longer in our spiritual family. We must walk the hard line praying for them, praying that God would grant them repentance, that they would turn and be reconciled to God and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you here. Pray for your session. Pray for the under-shepherds of Christ as we watch out for your souls. We have the privilege and the duty of calling back those who have gone wayward from Christ. Calling God's people to come together to worship, to encourage each other, to edify each other, to lift one another up before the Lord. We have the privilege of urging one another to be faithful in the Lord. So pray for us as we seek to make wise judgments, especially regarding matters of sin that may rise up in the church. And as we do so and seek to do so in accordance with God's word. Pray for us as we as we seek to be faithful in carrying out biblical discipline when it's needed in love. Because again, that is what must undergird and fuel every step 
every word, every conversation, every action is love for the offender. A desire to see them repent and to reconcile. Desire that they would be restored for restoration and reconciliation is the goal of discipline. But I also want to encourage you lastly here this morning to pray for one another. That we would receive and heed needed discipline with humble and repentant hearts. That each one of us would encourage and sharpen each other to flee immorality, especially sexual immorality, and pursue godliness and holiness for the honor and glory of Christ. That is one of the privileges and the rights and the responsibilities that you, as holding the common office, the, the office of the common believer, has in the church. To encourage one another. To uplift one another. To challenge and to correct each other biblically and according to the word. To exhort one another. Rebuke each other even as you see someone going wayward. So I pray that God would grant us all grace to do these things and to see the purity and holiness of Christ before us and His call, His requirement for His beautiful bride, His church to be kept pure and the means by which that is carried out, that we will be faithful to the Lord. <coughs> Amen. Let's go before the Lord together in prayer.